Good morning, good morning, good morning, 1045. How are we feeling? Man, the nine o'clock was more alive than the 1045. That kind of throws me for a loop. I, I guess just not a lot of mid-morning mid people in the room. And that wasn't funny either. So <laughs> off to a great start. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Journey, and it's my joy to be the pastor here. I'm glad that you are coming and uh, giving part of your, spending part of your Sunday morning with us. We are starting a brand new teaching series today called Man Up. Fellas, are you in the house today? Try that one more time. Fellas, are you in the house today? There we go. Listen, this series is, uh, is for you if, if you are a man, if you have a man, if you want a man, or if you are in any way involved with training and raising a boy that you hope will someday become a man, there's going to be something in this series for you. We're diving into this, and the reason why is because it doesn't matter if uh, if you're an avid outdoorsman, it doesn't matter if you're a musician, it doesn't matter if you are uh, a lumberjack or uh, an artist, uh, it doesn't matter if you are married um, and, and with kids or without kids, it doesn't matter if you're single. Here's what I believe, that God created every boy to become a man. He did. However, there's a problem. A lot of boys don't make it to manhood. And one of the reasons for that is because we live in a culture that, that has hijacked what masculinity is. It's hijacked what manliness is. And, and, and we all too often, especially the church, especially um, the, the Jesus people, uh, we, 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 we yield and we bend and we bow to allow culture to define what a man is, what a man does, what a man looks like, what a man thinks about, what a man talks about, what a man participates in. And here's what I believe. I believe that, that it's time for us to man up. I believe it's time for us to throw off the cultural definitions and we come back to the design from the designer and see what God has to say about what it means to be a godly man and what it means to practice and what it looks like to practice biblical masculinity. I wanna to start today by asking you to consider your funeral. It will be about this quiet. Why don't you think about your funeral for just a second and uh, imagine that you're not there because you, it's your funeral, so you're, you know, not there. And people, uh, people are there and they're sharing stories, right? Maybe there's stories from, uh, from friends from high school or college that telling funny memories of trips or adventures or stupid things that you did. Uh, maybe there's stories from coworkers that, uh, that, that talk about how much they hated working with you. I loved working with you. Um, maybe, maybe one of your employees or uh, one of your bosses shows up and talks about how awesome you were to work with. Maybe a neighbor shows up and says how great of a neighbor you are. I want you to imagine all the things that are said. And I, I'm just, just curious, is it possible that the things that everybody could say in the awesome stories would be great. It'd be nice. It'd certainly be nice to, to share in and reminisce about who we were and, 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 and what we were like. But is it possible that there would be something more meaningful, more, more valuable than just somebody telling an interesting story, an anecdote about your existence on planet Earth? I came across this uh, in my preparation for this series. And uh, I want to read this to you. And I want you to imagine that 
that, that, that the stories that people spoke to you from those that knew you best spoke words like this. He lived and led with wisdom, vulnerability, and courage. He shaped the world for good and left a lasting legacy. He loved well and loved deeply from a sincere heart. And he finished strong. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something about these words that resonates very deeply with me. That yes, I, I hope that people at my funeral will maybe talk about the kind of person I was and talked about some funny stories and, and share some interesting things. Maybe somebody will talk about how you can see the lawn lines from space of my house and my yard in the spring and the fall, not so much in July and August. But there's something about these words that's something that stirs something inside of me and I'd be willing to bet that it does for you as well. That there's something inside of you that you would hope that, 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 that there's, there's something more to life than just the accumulation and the acquiring of stuff and stories. That, that, that there's something about hearing these words being said at your funeral that causes you to wonder like, man, is, isn't there more to what I'm working for? Isn't there more to what I'm striving for than just the stuff that I can see and hold and measure? And what kind of impact would it have on you and on your life? And how does it change the way you think about that you live your life? If you were able to live your life in such a way that at your funeral, they would say about you that you lived and led with wisdom, vulnerability, and courage that you shaped the world for good and left a lasting legacy, that you loved well and loved deeply from a sincere heart, and that you finished strong. If there's any part of these words that resonate with you, then let me ask some questions today. We're asking a, a, a number of diagnostic questions today as we lay the foundation of where we're going for the next several weeks. And the first diagnostic question I wanna ask you is this. Are you confident that the way that you are living your life today is leading you on a path and a trajectory where the people that are close to you would say these kinds of things about you at your funeral? If the answer is yes, then you can come preach this series because I've got questions. I'm not sure. But if you're like me and you're not sure and you've got questions, then I wanna invite you to lean in in this series because here's what I believe with all of my being. The only way to live a life that leads to these kinds of eulogies and these kinds of things being said about us is when we live like a godly man. Not, not living like a man the way that Hollywood defines masculinity, not living li like a man like the way that marketing agencies spend billions and billions of dollars trying to shape and mold and conform us the way that we think and perceive and view what masculinity is. Instead, that we be a man the way that God designed for us to be a man. And in order for us to understand that, We've got to wrap a hold of this idea and this concept of what I'm talking about when I say that we need to man up. To provide some context, 1 Corinthians 13 says this, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. What, what, what is being said here? This is the Apostle Paul and he's writing and he's talking about the process of maturity. And what he's saying is that, listen, there was a time where it was, it was perfectly acceptable for boys to be boys 
to, to, to live in, in, in immaturity and to, to have, uh, you know, unbridled tenacity to accomplish and, and do fearless things, to live with innocence and ignorant optimism and be completely untainted by the, by the natural realities of this sinful, fallen, broken world that we live in. But what he's saying is that there was a time for him where he became a man. The, 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 the Greek word that is translated in English as became literally means to, to be made. And so what Paul is saying is like, there was a time where it was okay for him to be immature. It was okay for him to act a certain way. But what he learned was that there was a time that he had to be made into a man. He had to go through a process where he could learn and understand what it means to be a man. He could be trained and initiated into what, what masculinity and, and manhood is all about. And what he's saying is that at that time that I became a man, I put those old childish things away. I put away the things about who I used to be and what I used to be about so that I can grab a hold of the things that God wants to take me into and lead me into and mold me into tomorrow. Becoming a man is not something that happens by accident. You only become a godly man with intentional focus, effort, and desire. Now, let me establish a little bit of a caveat. This is not a, men, you suck. Do better or else type of series. That's not what this is, all right? I promise you that we are going to be challenged. I promise you that at times we're going to be convicted. I promise you that we're going to laugh. But most importantly, I promise you that we are going to be trained by God's word and initiated by his spirit into what God intends for us when it comes to the idea of being a man. And at times there's going to say, I'm going to say some things that are going to be a little hard to hear. And one of those things is going to happen right now. I'm trying to prepare you for it. Because some of us are here today and we look physically mature. We can do some of the things that men do. We have some manly characteristics, but on the inside, we're still boys. We have not become a man internally. We've just become a man and bore the, 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 the resemblance of a man externally. Here's what I believe. I believe that most of us have never been trained or initiated into the realm where men are men, where they act like men, they behave like men not as defined by culture and society, but as defined by God. And we're gonna spend some time over the next several weeks defining what that means. So many men are here today where we are too prone to want to play the victim instead of taking life by the horns and, and, and allowing our lives and to have a positive impact on the world around us. I believe that there are men that are here today that are like the walking wounded, that there are things in your life, in your past that you are still broken by. We don't like to admit that we're broken because that would go against the manly man, I'm strong but there are things in our life that, that we're still broken by that we've not allowed the grace of God and the goodness of God and the power of God to come in and to bring healing to some areas of our life. If you don't believe me that you have some things that are broken, then just look at any one of your vices, any one of your habits or any one of your hangups. All of those are a byproduct of you trying to resolve something that is broken on the inside in hopes that it fix what's broken. Broken? Untrained, uninitiated boys often live in a way where they desperately cover their immaturity and insecurities with their accomplishments. 
I don't know who needs to hear this today, but the measure of your manliness is not your accomplishments. And if you are not trained in what a godly man is and what a godly man does and what a godly man looks like, then you will walk around and you will cover your insecurities. You will cover your brokenness. You will cover your issues by getting people to look over here at what I did instead of looking at who I am. This is why so many men can live seemingly successful lives, but internally they feel broken and they're constantly looking for more. This is the reason why so many men are miserable in their marriages. They grew up, they bore the resemblance of a man. They found an attractive, nice woman, they married her. But at some point you didn't grow up. Instead, you became more of a spoiled child where you threw a fit every time you didn't get what you want, when you wanted, how you wanted it. Here's the deal, men. We need to be trained. We need to be initiated by the word of God. We need to be trained by the word of God, initiated by the spirit of God so that we can finally and fully experience the overwhelming joy that comes with being the man that God called us, created us and wired us to be. In order for us to be able to fully understand this, we've got to go back to Genesis chapter one and begin to unearth and uncover how God designed things from the beginning. And so that's where we're gonna to start today, Genesis chapter one. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. If not, we'll put the verses on the screen because we got your back, man. If you're with me this morning, Genesis one, let me hear you say, man up. You can look to your neighbor and say, man up. If your neighbor is a woman, you can say, woman up. You have my permission. Genesis 1.26 says this. This is talking about the creation account of how God created the cosmos. It says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna share two truths that we need to wrap our brains around and then I'm gonna share your first step of training to becoming the man that God wants you to be. The first truth is this, it's a Latin phrase that says imago Dei. Say that with me, imago Dei. Congratulations, you are a Latin scholar. What does this mean? It's Latin that means made in the image of God. This is first and foremost for us to understand. If we do not understand that we are made in the image of God, then everything else that we're gonna talk about in this series does not make sense. We were created and made in God's image. That means that every single one of us from the moment of conception was designed and imprinted by God with his imprint onto our life, onto our soul, onto our being, which means that every single life, every single person from the moment of conception has intrinsic value and meaning to God. And if they have intrinsic value and meaning to God, they should have intrinsic value and meaning to us, regardless of who they grow up to be, what they grow up to do, or what stupid or foolish things that become a part of their story. They are loved by God. They are valued by God. They are created and made in God's image. Now, I want to be really clear that when we say that we're made in the image of God, it doesn't mean that we are equal with God or that we're even like God. What it means is, is that we are created by God to be uniquely different from everything else in creation. That there is something that sets us apart. And that thing that sets us apart is that we are made in his image. Nothing else was made in the image of God except for us. 
Here's the second truth. This is where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. God delegates power and authority to us. Now we've got to understand this. Look at what verse 28 says. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The words subdue and dominion are power words. God in his infinite design and his beautiful design has decided that what is best is for him to bestow, for him to entrust, for him to delegate power and authority to us to subdue the earth and have dominion. Basically, God says, listen, this is my house, but I'm out for a little bit. You're in charge. Now, for the type A people in the room, we love that. For other people, um, maybe not so much. But God delegates power and authority to us. I believe that God intended for us to understand that he created the earth, then he placed us in the earth for the purpose of exercising God-given power and authority over all creation. Now, here's one of the things that I love about God. I believe that God, by the culture, um, oftentimes gets a really bad rap. There are some in the culture that say that Christianity is misogynistic. There are some who say that, 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 that God and the Bible is you know, just basically like a, a he-man woman hater club. Um, but I don't find that to be the case. In fact, when I read scripture, what I see is that God continually rebuts against the direction of culture that oftentimes places no value on women. Yet when we see scripture, God continues to place value on women. When we see Jesus, Jesus continually invites women to be a part of his thing. In fact, the very first person who was charged to go tell the world the good news that Jesus had been resurrected from the grave was a woman. And so what we see in the Bible is in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God invites men and women into his work, into his kingdom, into advancing what he's wanting to do. In the Old Testament, we saw both men and women serve as prophets, serve as judges, where their role was to teach people what God said, to correct people when they were off base and to encourage people when they were doing what was right. In the New Testament, we see that God uses both men and women in a variety of different roles throughout the church to include serving as deacons where men and women are given the charge and the responsibility of serving the body, of serving people. Now, what I'm getting ready to say is not super preaching, is not super popular anymore. But what we have to understand is that it's one thing for us to say we can appreciate the, the beauty of what God has created and the, 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 the specific way that he, he brings uh, and allows everybody to be a part of what's going on. He allows both men and women to inclusively be a part and understand what God is doing. But we also must appreciate the fact that God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. And that God, though he created men and women as equal in his sights, they have a different job. They have a different role. They have a different function. At times, that role and function will be very similar. At times, it will be different. And what we see specifically in God's word is that there are two specific places where God clearly delineates and divides out the role and responsibility of men and women in the home, in the marriage, and in the church. Let me provide some teaching on this. Don't take my word for it. Let's talk about what God says. First Corinthians chapter 11, the apostle Paul says this, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ 
The head of every woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Oh, there the Bible goes, being super misogynistic against women. Okay, let, let, me, let me teach you some things here. In order for us to understand what God is trying to convey in this verse, we have to first understand the relationship between God the Father and God the Son because that's the standard that God is using. When we study the Bible, we learn that the Bible tells us and teaches us that God is a triune God. That means that he is a three-part being all in one. Oftentimes you'll hear, hear this referred to as the Trinity or the triune nature of God, that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, now we can get super into the depths of this and this can be super hard to understand, but let me try to make it, try to make it a little bit easier for us to swallow. Every single one of us, one of us is a three-part being. You have a mind, you have a soul, and you have a body in the image of God. Now, when we go to creation, we see one of the clearest delineations that help us understand how the function and the role of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit work together as equals in power and authority, but as difference in roles and responsibility. When you go to Genesis chapter one, verse one, it says, in the beginning, God, that's God the Father, he created, right? So God is the architect of the cosmos. If you go to John chapter one, we learn this about Jesus, that it says in the beginning was the word, that's Jesus, and the word was God. So Jesus and God are equal with one another and the word was with God, meaning that not only was Jesus and God the Father equal, but they were separate. He wasn't just in God, he was with God. And then it says that nothing was made without the word, which is Jesus. So God the Father is the architect, Jesus the Son is the builder. And then we go back to Genesis in Genesis chapter one, and we learn this, that the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit, hovered over creation. The Holy Spirit serves the role as the inspector to make sure that everything is being built and created exactly the way it's supposed to go. So in creation, we have one God with three parts, equal in power, equal in authority, but different in role and responsibility. God the Father is the architect, Jesus the Son is the builder, and the Holy Spirit is the inspector. So it is that we have to understand that when God teaches us this through Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, God is talking about the creative divine order of authority. He is not talking about inferiority or superiority. He is not talking about differences between value or worth. He is simply speaking to the differences of the purpose that God created them for. I was cutting my son's hair yesterday, uh, my middle son. Um, so if he looks like he got in a fight with a weed eater, that's my bad. As long as he's got gel and it can spike straight up, he's good. He's got low standards. And so I was cutting his hair and he starts asking some really big questions. He was like, you know, asking questions about, you know, men and women and why are they different? Boys and girls, why are they different? And how that seems not fair. And my wife responds with what I thought was really, really wise. She said, well, Carson, God made men and women different. They have a different function. He goes, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, generically, most men are bigger or stronger than women. And he goes, what? That's not true. <laughs> and, I, and she goes, do you see many women playing football in the NFL? No. Why? Oh, they get hurt. Besides that, bud, Jessica continued, God created men and women's bodies differently. 
Women are created with the opportunity to be able to bring life into this world. Oh yeah, gross. Then God created mommies with the ability to have the stuff that if everything is working right, to be able to sustain and nourish and take care of that baby till it's able to start taking care of its own. And, and God made women's bodies to be more soft and more cuddly than men's bodies. And all the men said, amen. If you missed your moment, man, I don't know what to tell you. And so what she was trying to help him see is that, listen, God, God loves and creates men and women with, with the same equality, with the same uh, 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 perspective. But we're created differently for a reason. And society and culture has jacked this up. Now listen, I, as best I can tell, when I read the Bible, the only places that God limits the leadership responsibility to the man is in the marriage and in the church. Listen, I can tell you this, my wife leads in all kinds of ways in our house. There are so many things that she's better at than I am. But there are times where I, as the man, have a responsibility to lead my home and to lead my family to become more like Christ. Now listen, I did a whole teaching series where we unpacked part of the differences in marriages between husbands and wives and the roles and responsibilities. The series is called Happily Ever After. We did it several years ago. Um, Go check that out. I don't have time to preach all that again. The second place that God provides uh, a little bit of a distinction about the role and the authority of leadership um, is in the church. As best I can tell by reading the scriptures, God invites females to serve in all types of places and all types of roles within the church, helping to start the church in uh, Philippi, uh, to serve as deacons in multiple different churches. But as best I can tell, God uh, reserves men to be the pastors or the leaders of the church. Now, listen, this is kind of one of those things like God said it, I didn't. But because he said it, I stand on it. And so like, we're gonna have to ask questions when we get there because we don't fully understand it all. But outside of those two things, there is nothing that I see in scripture that would limit a man or a woman from serving, from leading to making an impact and a difference in the world. You wanna go impact your community? Man, go impact your community. You wanna go lead a business? Go lead a business. If you wanna go start a nonprofit, go start a nonprofit. If you wanna just serve as the team mom or team dad on your kid's school team or the kid's sports team, whatever, like go do that. God would say to you, go do it all to my glory. Do it to the best of your ability and go show the world that you know me and you belong to me by the way that you love my people and the way that you serve them. By the way, Jesus doesn't make, doesn't mince words on this either. Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, that from the beginning, God created them male and female. So regardless of, uh, of what culture tries to do to reclaim or redefine or reevaluate this stuff, Jesus didn't mix words on this. Jesus wants us to know that we are created differently and all of us have our own propensity to our own things. Every single one of us have a propensity to turn away from God. Every single one of us has a thing that that we are called to or drawn away from God by things that that are of interest, things that are desires, things that are urges. And so it's because of that that every single one of us desperately needs the grace of Jesus. And if you are a child of God, then what God does is he gives you his Holy Spirit to come live inside of you with the gift of self-control so that you don't have to be a slave to every interest, to every urging, to every longing, or to every desire that your body craves. 
Doesn't matter if your thing is food, if your thing is a particular sexual orientation. It doesn't matter if your thing is binge watching something on Netflix or what you eat or, 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 or what you drink. Like it doesn't matter. We are all, we all have this thing inside of us called sin that we all need grace and forgiveness from. And once we become followers of Jesus, God wants us to know that he gives us self-control so that we don't have to say yes to every single thing our body wants. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter eight, the Bible tells us that we need to make our bodies our slave because if we don't, if we fall prey to all of our bodies, urges and longings and wants, then we will be led into slavery itself. That's not what God wants for us. So what God wants for us is to understand that we are all created in his image. He's delegated power to all of us. There are certain places where God calls men to man up. I know this is unpopular. The point of this is to try to help us see that when we submit ourselves to God and God's divine design and realize that that he built it the way that he did for a reason, then we will begin to see earth look a little bit more like heaven. Since this series is called Man Up as opposed to Woman Up, we'll spend the majority of our time talking to the fellas. But ladies, I don't want you to check out because it will give you insight to the men in your life. Men, here's the deal. God entrusts us with power for the purpose of advancing his cause. And he expects us with our power to do as the prophet Micah told us to do, that we would do justice, that we would love mercy, and that we would walk humbly before him. And as we do, God tells us that he is constantly looking over the earth, looking for people that he can show himself strong on a part of. What does that mean? It means that he's constantly looking for people that he can give more power to. He's constantly looking for more people to entrust himself to. But here is the the sad narrative. Dallas Willard, Christian philosopher, says this, that the primary work of God is finding men to whom he can entrust his power. And the story of most men is being entrusted with power and it bringing harm to themselves and those under his care. Now, this is a tragic reality. And it's one that we know is true. Let's just look at pop culture. There are several stories over the last couple of decades that we can pull from, that we can see men who absolutely misused their power and because of that, people were hurt. How about Lance Armstrong? Seven times Tour de France champion, built a a, a great foundation that brought hope to a lot of people, but he lived a lie. He lied to himself, he lied to his, his foundation, he lied to the public, he lied to his own family about his use of performance enhancing drugs that allowed him to be possible to win those championships. How about Joe Paterno? Joe Paterno is not a name that we say a lot, but if you're a college football fan, you know that name. He was the legendary coach of Penn State University, the, most win- the winningest coach in all of Division I football history. Now, let me put some perspective on, on how good he was. Are there any Alabama fans in the house? Dear Lord. Father, forgive them. They worshiped Satan. I'm kidding. Sort of. Uh, right? So we would agree if you're a college football fan or anything about college football, like Nick Saban, the head of the, the head coach of Alabama Crimson Tide, like he's pretty good, right? I mean, come on. In order for him to catch Joe Paterno, 
He would have to win 130 more games. To put that in perspective, he would have to go undefeated for the next 10 seasons to catch him. What's really frustrating is that he might actually do that, and that's really irritating to me as an Arkansas fan. That's another story. Joe Paterno, the winningest coach in football history, so consumed he was with winning that he didn't even realize that his long time for decades, his assistant coach, Jerry Sandusky, was abusing and molesting children under his watch. In fact, he was convicted of 52 counts of child molestation. How about Harvey Weinstein? That name's been popular over the last several years. I mean, he is the poster child of men in power abusing their position and sexually harassing, sexually abusing people um, for their own benefit. So we know that this is a thing. And I wish that I could tell you this is a new problem, but it's not a new problem. This has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. The Bible itself records these things happening. Consider King David. The same one that we talked about. He made a shepherd boy. God made a shepherd boy courageous and he defeated Goliath. That was awesome. He became king and designed and decided that he wanted to use his power for his own benefit. He had an affair with a woman he wasn't married to. He tried to cover it up. When that didn't work, he had her husband killed, brought her, her in to be his wife and thought nobody would know about it. Which by the way, if you've never heard that story, man, there is some funky junk in the Bible. I encourage you to go read it. It's not boring. David abused his power. We find in the Old Testament that, that Pharaoh of Egypt and the New Testament, King Herod, literally killed thousands upon thousands of young Jewish boys, not men, not warriors, children. They killed Jewish boys for the purpose of preserving their power. And so here's the common thread, men that men entrusted with power who having unaddressed and unattended rifts in their masculine soul have brought harm to women and men and children under their care. Let me ask a few more diagnostic questions. Men, how are you wielding your power? What are you using your power for? In the exercise and the demonstration of your power, is your power being used to bring life to people? Or is your power being used to bring harm to people? Now, some of you hear that and you go, oh, power? I, mean, I don't know about that. I don't make any decisions in my house. Happy wife, happy life. To which I say, amen. But some of you hear that and you're like, I don't what is power? What are you talking about power? I don't have power, man. Others of you are like, yeah, power. I've been waiting for this. Subdue, have dominion. Woman, do what I said, because I said it. Huh. And I just got to tell you in the most loving Christ-like way as I possibly can, like if you believe that that's what it means to be a godly man and a godly husband, you're an idiot. Maybe you're asking, how, how, how can my power, this power thing, how can it use, be used to harm people? Well, here's the deal. For most men, when responsibilities increase and we feel the pressure building, we have this tendency to, to reach for security. We want something, we, we, we as men don't like to talk about feeling safe because that feels like weak. I don't need to talk about feeling safe. I'm a man, I'm strong. The reality of it is, is that 
when things start getting a little hectic, things start getting a little chaotic, there's something inside of us that causes us to immediately start building something that gives us security. And the blueprint of what we build usually looks like one of three things. We either start building by trying to make a name for ourselves by any means, big or small. We establish ways to secure identity by what we do instead of who we are. And this is super critical for us to understand because in those moments, we feel the inadequacy. That's the reason why we feel pressure building. If it wasn't for some sense of inadequacy inside of us, we would not be concerned about the pressure that we feel. So when pressure starts mounting and the stress starts building, it begins to trigger and activate that stuff inside of us that makes us ask the question, am I enough? And in order to answer the question, am I enough? What we do is we fall back on just trying to build something. Because if I can build something, then I can convince myself, I can convince the people around me, look at what I built, look at what I did. And if I can distract you by what I did, then you'll never see who I am. Here's the second thing that men often do. Men try to build stuff by trying to make a little money. They latch on, land, uh, they latch on to their dream of the, um, or their version of the American dream. They take the bait of thinking that if I build the bank account, it will validate me as a man. It will give me more and lasting rest and satisfaction that my heart seeks. If I could just make more money, we could do more stuff. If I could do more stuff, I would feel more confident. If I could feel more confident, then I could rest a little bit easier. I'd feel a little bit more satisfied. Or how about this, the third one? We get to building by doing something, by getting something going. Whatever it may be, we just start to build. We build resumes. We build social media networks. We build churches. We build businesses. We start hustling. And whatever it is, so much of what we build is oftentimes fueled by the desire to feel alive, to feel the thrill of accomplishment and success, and to have something for which we can be proud of. Here's the deal. None of these three things are intrinsically wrong. What makes them wrong is when we are motivated to start exercising our power, what happens is is it's almost by a sheer force of will, we get ourselves through the situation, not by bringing actual healing and and resolving the stuff on the inside that causes us to feel a little afraid, a little inadequate, a little, little pressure to begin with. And instead, we exert our power into these other things. And because we spend so much time exerting our power towards these other things, then we lose sight of and we forsake the things that God has entrusted to us. And so it's not wrong to build stuff. It's not wrong to make a name. It's not wrong to make money. It's not wrong to build something new and get it going. I'm simply saying that if the motivation for why you did that is because you felt the pressure and that's what springboarded you into it, you are on a fast track to harming people. If you were to evaluate your life, how much of your life, how much of your time, how much your energy has been invested in succeeding in these pursuits? And allow me to remind you that the measure for you as a man is not found in your accomplishments. Okay? preach man, I get it, uh, 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 kind of, but I still don't understand how this brings harm to people, right? Like that's just me trying to work out my own inner issues, okay? Let me ask a few more diagnostic questions. How often do you find yourselves physically present with people and things that you say that you care about, but you're not spiritually or emotionally present and engaged? 
because you can't be. I mean, I'm here with my family. I'm here with my people. I'm here doing the thing, but my mind is over there. I'm consumed over there. Why? Because my identity is not found in anything here. My identity is found in that over there. Let me ask another question. How often have you noticed that instead of bringing to your family playfulness and affection, you bring fatigue and frustration to my heart? I'm certain that if you were to ask my kids, hey, what do you think about your dad? He's good, he's awesome, he's great, right? Like that's that's what kids do when they're young. But what happens is, as they grow up and they begin to develop the cognitive ability to be able to put words to things that begin to tear down the idealistic distortion that they had of who you were. And the things that causes teenagers and young adults to rebel and not want to have anything to do with their fathers oftentimes were there in the early age. They just weren't able to express the words to, de- to describe it. So were you bringing playfulness and affection to your family? Or do you bring fatigue and frustration? Is that the wind that, what's the wind that blows when you walk in the door? Let me ask another question. Why is it that men often spend their best energy at work, but show up at home with scraps? When we start to build things because we feel the pressure mounting and the stress building, and we try to reach for security because that's what helps anchor us. It's what helps stabilize the stuff that we're feeling on the inside that most of us don't like to talk about because somehow it makes it feel like less of a man if we admit that we're afraid of something or if we're scared of something or if we're stressed out or nervous about something. And instead, we just put our nose to the grindstone. We're just going to work our way through it. We're just going to build something. I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to make more money. I'm just going to start something new and I'm just going to put all of my energy and my life and my effort into that. And you forsake the most precious things that God has entrusted to you. As men, we are so driven to achieve something to call our own, to start a company, to start an initiative. But why do we often find ourselves scrambling to prove our worth to our boss, to prove our worth to our spouse, or worse, to prove our worth to ourself with the answer to the nagging question, do I have what it takes? And oftentimes our desire and vision for being powerful collides so painfully with our inability to be able to keep it all up. It collides with our inability to maintain integrity of soul under the weight that it demands. And when we begin to falter, when the foundation begins to crumble, when all the things that we're spending our life and our energy building and and, and when it begins to, the pressure begins to mount and when we begin to realize, you know what? There are some places and some spaces where I'm just not enough. And instead of coming to God and relying on our identity in Christ, instead what happens is is we go back to work and we try to build, 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 distract myself, distract my wife, distract my family, distract my friends, distract my boss, distract my peers, distract my people who know me because look at what I'm building while on the inside we're crumbling. And here's where the harm happens. When the cracks start to form and the structures begin to fracture, that is when the things that are closest to us and the people that we care the most is that's when they get hurt. Here's the point of this message. Here's the point of this series. Men, 
You were designed by God to be powerful. He has delegated power and authority and influence to you and to me. And you get to decide whether or not all of that power and all of that influence is going to bring life to the people and life to the things that you say you care the most about. Or if you remain broken, if you remain uninitiated, if you remain untrained in what it means to be a man, then when the foundation breaks and things fall apart, as it inevitably will, all of that power is gonna bring harm to the people and to the things that you say that you care about the most. And over the next several weeks, you're gonna have the opportunity to undergo training from the word of God. You have invitations to be initiated by the spirit of God as we walk through this together for you to understand what it means to be a man. You can learn if you will apply these principles, they will help you become the man that God has always wanted you to be. And close today with your first training step. The first step in your training to be a man, to man up, to be the man that God wants you to be is you must see yourself as a son of God. Now, somebody's gonna hear that and go, that's the punchline? That's it? Okay. But listen to me. We all wear many hats. And what happens is, is because we want to be perceived as powerful, because we want to be perceived as somebody, because we want to be perceived as something, then what happens is, as we change the hat that we wear in the environment, in the setting that we're in, I do this. When I'm in certain environments, I introduce myself. Hi, I'm Journey, and I'm the pastor of Discover Church. That's a hat. When I'm in other environments, hi, I'm Journey, and I'm Jessica's husband and her arm candy. Praise the Lord. When I'm in other situations, I, I, I wear the hat. Uh, I, hi, I'm Journey, and I'm Micah Carson and Gunner's dad. You see, I... I I wear all of those hats, but I change the hat that I introduce myself in based on the situation that I'm in so that I can shape how people perceive me and how people view me. Here's the deal. You can go into any situation, you can interchange all of your hats, but the most significant, the most important hat that you can ever wear, that your truest self, your truest identity must be that you are a son of God. You are loved by God. You are chosen by God. You are accepted by God. You are forgiven by God. You have been empowered by God. You have been called to be his ambassador, an example to the world of God's goodness and grace and mercy. You are his son. And there is no room, there is no place, there is no conversation, there is no meeting that you will ever go into that you can take that hat off. You can try to take it off, but you can't. So what happens is, is we cover it up. And what God desperately wants us as men to understand today, and this applies to the ladies as well, God, what God desperately wants us to understand is that the most significant part of our identity has nothing to do with who we're connected to. It doesn't have anything to do with who we raised. It doesn't have anything connected to where I work or what I do. 
all of the most significant elements of my identity and your identity, if you have been saved by the blood of Jesus, is that you identify as a child of the most high God. And if you rearrange your priorities to try to identifying yourself as something else first, that's when people and stuff gets hurt. I love what Ephesians chapter one says. It says this, how blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind and had settled on us as the focus of his love. To be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Men, if you do not see yourself as a son of God, the God who designed you, the God that created the cosmos, the God that formulated the thoughts about power and authority. If you do not see yourself as the son of God, you will never be able to be the man who would have a eulogy spoken over him at his funeral as what we described earlier. If you're here today and you want to be that kind of man, can I tell you it starts with one decision, a decision that will rearrange and change everything in your life, a decision to place your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus for salvation. Salvation from what? Salvation from the hell the Bible says that we're going to. But just as important for us, salvation from the hell that we're currently going through. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, can I just tell you, nothing else matters. I realize that that might sound trite or you might expect a preacher man to say something like that because, you know, that's your job. You're supposed to talk about how awesome, important Jesus is in life. Everything else is supposed to be awful. As long as Jesus is good, it doesn't matter. That's not what I'm trying to say. just trying to tell you that the Bible says, and I have discovered it to be true in my life, that Jesus is the giver of life. In any journey to become the best you that you can be that doesn't involve Jesus is an exercise in futility. Or maybe you're here today and you know that you belong to Jesus, but there are areas of your life that you are not allowing him to have access to. There are, there are areas of sin in your life that you continue to come back to, things that you know is not God's best for you. 
Listen, I'm not trying to shame you. I got stuff in my life that, that I keep going back to that well. And every time I do, it's like, dang it, here I am again. But here's the deal. If you're here today and you're not to that point where you're like, where, where, where you've grown sour of the taste of what comes out of that well, listen, I wanna tell you this, that what God has for you is so much better than what you're gonna find in that. Maybe it's a relationship that you need to bug out on. Maybe it's, maybe it's um, uh, decisions that you're making at work that you know aren't right. Maybe it's, maybe it's things that, that you are allowing to be a part of your life and a part of your rhythm that you know is not God's best for you. I'm just laying it out for you today. I believe the Spirit of God would say, would you come to me? Would you repent of that? Would you turn away from it? Would you allow me to bring health and newness and vitality and restore something in you that is broken? Because whatever it is that you are trying to find healing for, the salve and the that you're looking for in the world, you're not going to find it. Because the kind of healing that you need can only be found in Jesus. So won't you come back to him? Won't you make today the day where you say, God, I'm, that's it, I'm done. I'm making a commitment. You can have me. Come on. So what's the decision that you need to make today? Listen, the world is in desperate need. The statistics are overwhelming about the impact that it's had on society when men do not man up. Now's the time, men. Once you make the, step, the choice and the step today to become a man and put some childish things behind you, won't you come to Jesus? Just bow your head and close your eyes for me today. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.